Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. As if we needed another crisis to deal with this year, New York City is seeing a spike in gun violence. Oh, I'm extremely concerned about the crime surge that's gone on in the city and really across the country. From public officials like Queens Councilwoman Adrian Adams to the head of the Citizens Crime Commission in New York City, Richard Aborn, there is great alarm. Broadway is going to open, I think, in the fall. People aren't going to be going to Broadway and to restaurants if they're worried about walking through Times Square because they may be mugged or shot as they were 15, 20 years ago. We, we don't need to go back there, but we better understand that we're in a crisis and get ahead of this. This week on 880 In-Depth, a deep dive into the surge in gun violence on our streets and crime in the subway system and questions about what's to blame. New York City became the epicenter in the last three or four years of, of the destruction of law enforcement and the destruction of accountability. Welcome to 880 in depth. I'm Tim Sheld from WCBS News Radio 880. It's been pretty difficult to avoid the topic of crime in New York City lately. Live from Studio 46, this is CBS 2 News this morning. Breaking news. One of New York's finest shot multiple times during a shootout in Brooklyn. It happened as police were investigating another shooting nearby. We are live from the scene coming up. Arrested in Florida, authorities tracked down the man accused in the Times Square shooting that wounded three people, including a little girl. High profile crime and the debate over safety in the subway system have become staples of the evening news lately. And the timing couldn't be worse. New York City is reopening the subway system to 24-hour service this coming week. The mayor is also trying to welcome tourists back to the city this summer to fuel an anemic economy. We have thousands of officers in the subways. We added another 600 some weeks ago. We're keeping them there. We'll make additional adjustments as we need to. But New York is seeing some alarming statistics. While crime is generally down historically, certainly from the bad old days of the 70s and 80s, we are seeing spikes in crime involving guns and murders this year compared to last. Later on, we'll hear from the head of the city council's public safety committee, Councilwoman Adrian Adams from Southeast Queens. And we'll also hear from a veteran crime fighter turned academic who believes we only have ourselves to blame here for making it harder for police to do their jobs. But first, 
Our Peter Haskell got on the phone with Richard Aborn. He's the president of the Citizens Crime Commission of New York City. The Citizens Crime Commission, if you didn't know, is a nonpartisan, independent organization working to improve public safety in our community. We have seen a surge of shootings in the city in recent months. What's happening here? What do you think? Well, I think there are a lot of things going on, but I, but I start this answer by telling you that anyone who tells you they know exactly what's going on, I respectfully suggest is not well informed because it's not exactly known what's going on. But we do know that there are a myriad of factors that, are, that seem to be driving uh, this increase in shootings. First, we've engaged in a lot of reforms of the criminal justice system, uh, from bail reform to Rikers to de-enforcement to de-incarceration to some pretty pretty ferocious attacks on cops. Um, some of the reforms were very much needed, and I supported some of them, but some of them went too far. And the bigger problem is that while we've been engaged in all of these reforms, we have been talking a lot about the reforms, but not talking about the need to keep violent crime in check. So we are not telling the right story in New York anymore from the leadership perspective. Yes, it's fine to talk about reforms, but we also have to send the message that we're going to be very tough on violent crime. New Yorkers have the right to feel safe and to be safe. And the way you do that is by keeping your hand on the, excuse me, your hand, your foot on the gas uh, when it comes to fighting violent crime. Secondly, in the United States last year and now again this year, we have seen a record sale of guns, particularly of handguns. And those guns are beginning to make their ways into New York. In fact, last year, the NYPD seized a record number of illegal guns, and this year is on track to do the exact same thing. So the NYPD is seizing the guns, but we need to get the courts and the prosecutors back up and running full speed. They were hit very hard by COVID. We need to give them whatever support they need to get back up and running full time so that the word goes out that if you commit a crime, there's a high chance you're going to be arrested, a good chance you're going to be prosecuted, and there's going to be a quick trial. Um, that's called classic deterrence. We've lost that in New York now. So now when would-be criminals think about whether or not they should commit a crime, for those who do, not everybody does, but for those who do, there's no disincentive because the risk associated with committing a crime is gone. Third, I think we need to get back to quality of life enforcement. Um, we have stopped enforcing quality of life crimes. And that's bad on two levels. One, I think every neighborhood in the city of New York is entitled to a high quality of life. And that includes having police intervene when people are violating that quality of life. Public urination, graffiti, excessive hanging out on sidewalks, uh, blocking people from walking around, blocking parks. All of these things, loud noise, all of these things disrupt the quality of life. We have stopped enforcing the law on those things, and we need to get back to that. We don't need to put those people in jail, but we need to do something. In other words, to say this in a more sort of a more criminological way, we need to have accountability again for misdeeds. If the laws are going to be there just prescribing what can be done, what can uh, people do, and what people can't do, there needs to be accountability when people violate that law. Again, not harsh punishment. I'm not looking for that. But I am looking for some sort of accountability. Next, I think we need to start having a broad conversation about bail reform. Bail reform was very much needed, but it also went too far. And in particular, the thing that I'm most concerned about is judges in New York State, singularly, have no discretion to consider the background of a defendant and whether or not they can impose bail. 
um, in those in those situations where the statute prohibits it. And that's a mistake. We have a very good bench in New York. We have very good judges. Let's give them the respect of giving them the ability to make decisions and consider somebody's background when deciding whether or not that person should be released from the street. There's also a very broad prevention agenda um, that actually New York has started but needs to be stepped up. So, for instance, we know that a lot of gang members suffer from homelessness and food insecurity. Well, we don't need 10 years to address that. We should have about 10 minutes to address that. So we need to do that as well. So there's a myriad of things that New York can be doing that we're not doing um, that would help with this crime spike. But the most important thing and the most immediate thing is that the city council cannot repeat the mistake it made last year in cutting the NYPD as we go into the summer. Because in policing terms, the summer is known as the high crime season. It is, it is as predictable as night follows day that in the summer crime will start to go up. We're already seeing high spikes over last year, and last year was already seeing high spikes over the preceding year. Let's not defund the NYPD. Let's not take cops on the street. Let's do the opposite. Let's make sure the police commissioner has enough cops and enough overtime to fully staff the streets so we have some chance at reducing some of these shootings. We're seeing a political battle play out between the governor and the MTA on one side of the mayor on the other side of it, cops in the subways. The city has provided 600 extra cops. They're redeploying cops. The, the MTA and the governor say, we need more. What's the balance? What's the, I don't know if there's a right number. Is there a right deployment? How do we do better when the system doesn't have the ridership that it had before. Well, as Peter, as you know, the, the subway system is the backbone of New York City. If people aren't using the subway system, we are really in trouble. There'll be no coming back from COVID if people are not willing to ride the subway system. And I am concerned right now, because I'm hearing this from folks, that they're concerned about going down there. So yes, I, if, if I had a magic wand, I would increase, increase, excuse me, increase the police presence um, in the subway system, and we just need to find the funds to do it. I mean, I know the subway system is under the control of the governor, so we need to find the the money to get more cops down there. Um, now they can be cops from the MTA, they can be cops from the NYPD. There are various ways to get uniforms down there. We could use. I think there's some talk about using some of the auxiliary officers down there. I don't think that's been done before. That's an interesting idea. But that does need to be done. In sub, I, I worked on this issue in London quite a bit. In subway systems, police presence is very, very valuable because you can have cops stationed in such a way that people see them, and that does two things. One, it gives a sense of safety. It reduces the fear of crime. And it also reduces the reality of crime because we know something called visible policing is very effective in deterring crime. So, yes, let's increase the number of cops in the subway system. We've had these high-profile subway crimes. We had a shooting in Times Square. And you talked about the fact no coming back without the subways. So the city is reopening slowly but surely. What can be done to make people feel safe to come back go to the office, go to the restaurants, take advantage of New York's culture. How do we, how do, we do that? So we've got, to, we've got to do two things. First, we need to send out 
the reality of crime, first of all, in the subway system so people know what they're confronting and what they're not. And I say that because sometimes the fear of crime can be a bit exaggerated over what the reality is. But that's not to say for one second that we don't have a significant issue in the subway system. The reason that people are very fearful is that New Yorkers have now come to expect, and they have a right to expect this, to live in a very safe city. And I say that because the NYPD has shown over the last 18 or 20 years that it can drive down crime pretty consistently from year to year to year. But they've got to have the tools to do it. And right now they're strong. Again, we don't have quality of life enforcement, and we don't have adequate numbers of cops. So if we can get those cops on the streets and give them the, the tools they need to enforce the law, I think you'll then start seeing some of this spike start to reverse. But I don't want to tell you that this is going to happen immediately. We're in trouble, and we're in trouble because a lot of these shootings are gang-related, and gang crime tends to be cyclical, meaning one gang shooting begets another gang shooting because they're very often based on revenge. And there's now an increasing random quality beginning to be associated with crime. I mean, look what happened in Times Square the other day. People standing in line to go into stores or go to events, they end up getting shot. I mean, this sounds like, you know, from the 1970s or the 1980s. Um, we certainly don't want to go back there. And a lot of people are saying, well, it's not as bad as it was 20 years ago. Well, yes, it's not as bad as it was 20 years ago, but we certainly don't want that to be how we define success the way it was 20 years ago. We want to define success by the way it was two years ago when crime was continuously dropping. That's what we need to get back to. Do you think that his crime might slow the city's comeback and might really hinder the recovery? Yes. I think we are naive if we think that high crime rates will not impede the recovery. If I, I don't know at what rank it is, but tourism is one of the principal sources of revenue for New York City. If New York City starts to get a reputation for being a high crime area, people are not going to come rushing back here. I mean, that's, that's clear. If we want to rebuild our housing markets, people are not going to come back to the city if they think there's high crime. If we want people to start coming into the city to go to offices and they have the discretion not to, and there are lots of people now, walk through Midtown, there are lots of people now that can work remotely, they're not going to come in. Why? They'll say, I can work remotely just fine from my home. Why should I travel into New York? Broadway is going to open, I think, in the fall. People aren't going to be going to Broadway and to restaurants if they're worried about walking through Times Square because they may be mugged or shot as they were 15, 20 years ago. We, we don't need to go back there. But we better understand that we're in a crisis and get ahead of this. And, and you know, sadly, the big public health crisis, COVID, is, thank God, beginning to recede. Let's not replace that epidemic with another epidemic of shootings. And I am concerned we're getting to that point. Do you think COVID has it all played into this surge in crime, pent-up aggression, or you know, pent-up demand, for a lot of lack of a better term? Yes, in, in in this in this sense, but I don't think it's still fueling it. I think that the I think that COVID really hit the NYPD. I think at one point they had 20% uh, averages of officers. There were so many cops that got sick from COVID because they were out in the streets, right? So I think it reduced the presence on the street. I also think that there is an, there is an enormous amount, there was and probably still is, an enormous amount of anxiety associated uh, with COVID in many, many communities, particularly communities of color, 
because of the data. The data was showing that those communities were getting hit harder. And, and unfortunately, there are a lot of illegal guns in those communities. And so some of those residents, some of those people in those communities, obviously not all, obviously not the vast number, but some, unfortunately, acted out with guns afterwards. And that, yes, that in some ways also contributed um, to the, the shootings that are taking place because of the prolonged lockdown, but more importantly, because of the pronounced anxiety associated with that. But I'm not sure we can still point to that at this point. As, as you've said, the city is beginning to reopen. COVID, for the first time, is beginning to look like it may be in the rearview mirror. It's not far behind us, but at least it's getting further behind us. So I, I wouldn't continue to point to COVID as a reason for the increase in shootings. I think it's being propelled by gang violence. We talked a little bit about the political battles between the mayor and the governor. You've got the police unions weighing in, the police commissioner weighs in. How does politics impact perception, and and what, if any, concerns do you have about that? So this is a, an incredibly interesting question, and and the truth is we don't know exactly, but there, I strongly believe that the more stable a local government is, the more rule of law that there is, the more a government takes care of all of its constituents, all, not just certain classes, all constituents, the less crime you're going to have. Now, why do I say that? Stability, I'm sorry, many people who commit crime are coming from very unstable environments. Their home life is unstable, their neighborhood's unstable, They probably don't have a job. Their school life is in turmoil. It's just an unstable environment. On top of that, their street life can be dangerous. I I can tell you stories of kids who get shot trying to go get a piece of pizza around the corner because of these ridiculous gang turf wars. So people will look to government for that stability that is otherwise lacking in their own lives. Unfortunately, when you see instability in government, and we see that right now in this constant bickering between the governor and the mayor, which serves no one. I don't know whose political interest is being served here. I've been looking for that interest for a while. I don't find it. Frankly, it just needs to stop because there are just greater issues at play here than what their personal thought may be about each other for the day. And they need to understand, as we do in all aspects of life, that words matter and the way we conduct ourselves matter. And when you're in a leadership position, a leadership position, people look to you not just for what laws you pass or policies you put in place, but how you comport yourself, how you reach, how you teach your, uh, sorry, how you treat your fellow leaders. People want to see stability in that, and we don't have that right now, and we need to get back to that. I haven't. I'm sorry to say this, but a number of people have been calling me lately. And, and asking this question, they're saying, Richard, is New York really as out of control as it feels? Now, you can debate whether it is or not, whether it isn't. But the mere fact that I'm getting that call more frequently now is frankly quite alarming. And people in leadership positions really better understand that. This is a serious moment. Another concern here is the growing homeless issue we've seen around our city, likely created by economic conditions from the pandemic. And some of the crime we're also seeing has been attributed to a growing population of mentally unstable people in New York City. We asked Richard Aborn about how all this might be playing out. Economics and crime 
share a similar phenomenon, which is improvements in economy and improvements in public safety often precede the perception of those improvements. So particular public safety, people can be fearful long after a crisis situation has passed. The, the corollary to that in public safety is that when you have lived in a very safe city for so many years, there are people who have come to New York in the last 15 years and have known nothing but it being the safest city in the world, um, in the country, sorry, in the country. When you live in that environment and something disrupts that environment, you are very likely to have an outsized reaction to that. When we were losing 2,000 people a year to murder, if we went to 2001, we didn't, I'm sorry, 2,100, we didn't really feel that. But when you're having around 300 murders a year, and suddenly you see an increase of 15 or 20%, you're gonna feel that, and you're gonna have an outsized reaction to that. More importantly with the shootings, as the shootings continue, and they're now climbing at really alarming rates, let's not be naive about that, and, and they're beginning to take on this random quality, people are gonna have a very, very strong reaction to that because their sense of safety has been now shattered, and they're not used to that. That's not part of their life experience in New York. So we're going to have to do a lot, not just to drive down crime, but to make sure we talk about it in a way that conveys two things. One, to use an old phrase, we're on top of it, that there's a coherent, effective, reliable plan that the government is using that, that by all reasonable measures should bring crime down over some period of time. And secondly, as we do begin to reduce crime, to make sure that we talk about it in a realistic but honest way, um, that crime reduction is taking place. And likewise, there's a responsibility to talk about the reality of crime. Um, we, we should not be out there exaggerating it, but we do need to be out there talking about it honestly. And it goes back to what I said about government. Government needs to be the honest broker here. People need to know that when government talks about an event, in this event, crime, it is very important that they are perceived as being reliable about what they say. They, I mean, leader, government leaders. Richard, thanks for your time and your patience. I appreciate it. Anytime, my friend. And then there's the debate about policing. In a recent survey of voters of New York City, public safety was high on the list of issues that will drive their vote in the mayoral election. Just this week at a city council hearing on public safety, things got a little testy with the police commissioner defending his ranks and the vast majority who responded during the protests over the George Floyd murder case. Peter Haskell wanted to hear more about the police budget and how in the world we can expect police to fight the crime surge if the plan is to cut the police budget next year. He spoke to Adrian Adams. She's the head of the City Council's Public Safety Committee. She's also the City Council representative for the 28th District that makes up Southeast Queens. What's your feeling? Should the budget be cut? Should it be the same? What do you think? There are a lot of variables involved in the budget. Uh, I do believe that the budget um, should be cut. The budget has been increased uh, for FY22, but I do believe that it should be cut and that it should be better managed by NYPD. Why do you think it should be cut, and what would the impact of the cuts be? Well, um, 
the impact of the cut itself uh, would, I think that uh, it would increase more services into mental health that we need. And I think that it would increase uh, uh, farther uh, needs that we have elsewhere. I think that police uh, should be relegated to keeping us safe. And the budget um, has not always reflected just those services of the agency. It's reflected more. There's been a crime surge in the city over the past weeks and months. What's your take on this, and what kind of concerns do you have? Oh, I'm extremely concerned about the crime surge that's gone on in the city and really across the country. Um, gun violence is is out of control um, right now, and I mean it's 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 terrible. Uh, this year alone, murders are up 18 percent versus the same time last year. Uh, shootings are up 83 um, percent, and in the first four months of the year, I believe there were over 400 shootings, and I'm extremely concerned about this surge in gun violence. So square this with me, if you could. You're concerned about the violence and the shootings, but you want to cut police. How do you reduce crime if you cut police? Well, I think that police need to be more effectively utilized. As I mentioned in my hearing yesterday, we have an extreme number of uh, police who are working civilianized jobs right now. Uh, we've got about $180 million wasted on uh, police officers who are sitting behind desks when we need them to be on patrol and keeping us safe. Um, the NYPD says that uh, 386 positions could be civilianized. So we need to get them, um, get, get the uniformed police officers on patrol where they belong, and we need to have um, that money put elsewhere. One thing that's gotten a lot of attention through the years is quality of life violations. What's your feeling about that, and what should cops be doing about them, if anything? You know, that's a really great question, and it really is at the top of the food chain uh, for my constituents in District 28, and I know across the city as well, Southeast Queens, where I reside as well, we have seen so many quality of life issues uh, just just escalate. Um, we're talking about noise issues. We're talking about cars backfiring right now when we've got a climate of gun violence and people are looking over their shoulders when the cars backfire. We have problems of drag racing up and down our streets and, you know, and, and just a lot more. Um, I, I really, really need to think that there should be better enforcement. We've got 18 wheelers parked in our residential neighborhoods and on our um, on our uh, side roads as well. So we've got a lot of issues that need better enforcement um, by NYPD. That's why I said if we could just get some more officers uh, from behind those desks, I think that we would have more of our numbers up uh, in the streets, more of our numbers up keeping us safe. You know, sometimes in, in policing and police reform, the pendulum swings one way and then it swings back the other way. Some would mm -hmm. suggest that it swung too far uh, so that these quality of life violations are not being enforced. You've got people being released and then committing crimes again. What's your feeling? Has it swung too far? Is it just right? Or would you like it to swing further? You know, um, Peter, I, I really think that, again, it's a matter of efficiency in the NYPD. I mean, um, realistically speaking, um, uh, we're looking at, 
you know, the police pretty much being at the same um, staffing levels that they've been at over the last 20 years when we saw dramatic declines in violence. So again, for me, it's an efficiency issue. It's not a numbers issue. It's an efficiency issue. Resources at the NYP is not a problem. It's not an issue. I said that in my hearing um, yesterday. Uh, but uh, we really need to look at efficiency in the NYPD more so than anything else. And I think it's totally doable. I want to ask you about the city's recovery and reopening. There's this push to bring tourists back, to bring New Yorkers into Midtown, to get people out of their house to spend money. What kind of impact does crime, be it reality or perception, play in that? Yeah, and and I've been watching the news. That's a great question. I've been watching the news also to see what um, folks, tourists right now, because we do have them in the city, what they're thinking. And, you know, from (laughs) what I've noticed is that it seems to be you know, uh, kind of half and half, you know, if, if, if we're just looking at it, you know, from a layman's standpoint, I think that folks that um, understand big cities, understand the workings of big cities, New York happens to be the biggest and the greatest, um, understand that uh, we're at a time right now um, in our society, really, and across the nation, where we do have an issue of violence. New York is, is certainly no, uh, we're no different than anyone else. But the people that are traveling understand that. We understand that this is a problem. Um, But I do believe that NYPD also make no mistake about it, the best police force in this country. They are the model for this country. They are the go-to guys. When people want to learn how to make a safe city, this is where they come. I don't take that lightly. And believe me, as chair of public safety, I appreciate it greatly. So I think that the tourists understand that as well. They understand that, uh, that New York is going to be New York, but it is still the safest city in the nation. I want to ask you a political question. We've got this battle between the mayor and the governor about subway safety. What's your take on this? I think that subway safety is a concern. I really do. Um, I think that the safety of our MTA workers needs to be taken extremely seriously because um they are getting hurt um they are uh there in my estimation they continue to put their lives on the line literally on a daily basis um as far as the quarreling between the mayor and the governor we rest somewhere in the middle because um on on one side i think we're taking it a little too lightly on the other side we may be pouring pouring it on a little too thick Somewhere in between lies the answer, you know, to to that question. But for me, there needs to be more uh, precaution taken to protect subway riders and protect our MTA, our transit workers, uh, who have been uh, seriously hurt um, by folks out there uh, in these random attacks that need mental health services now more than ever. That is very diplomatic of you, very diplomatic. Uh, Let me ask you, would would you prefer to see more cops in your district or fewer? You know, as far as my district is concerned, I take my cue from my constituents. Um, Southeast Queens happens to have some of the best um, models in in our precincts, and we're really proud of that. We've got relationships between our uh, precinct commands, um, our precinct councils, 
and our community uh, than, than a whole lot of other districts out there. And I know that because I speak to my colleagues and I, I say it often. Um, we enjoy relationship um, with our commands that really are uh, uh, held up as models. The 113 out here is held up as a model um, for other precincts to follow as far as community and policing relations go. Um, my constituents appreciate the work of the NYPD and appreciate the partnerships that we continue to build, particularly with our command, with NCOs. So we're really proud of the relationship that we have in Southeast Queens with our NYPD partners. Council member, anything that you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? I think we've covered everything. I'm happy to say we covered a lot of ground in these past uh, few minutes. Um, I, I really do uh, hope that um, our that our citizens of New York can you know can feel safe again. That's my hope and my wish you know for all New Yorkers. We've had such a hard time during this pandemic. Um, it's not our imagination that we've seen more gun violence in the city and across the nation. And my hope is that uh, we get a handle on this sooner than later. Thanks so much for your time. I know you've got to run. I want to respect your time, so I will let it go with that, but I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Oh, Peter, reach out again. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much. We also wanted to hear from Professor Eugene O'Donnell. He's from John Jay College of Criminal Justice. He's got quite a resume. He worked in the NYPD back in the 80s for a few years. He also worked as a prosecutor in the Brooklyn and Queens DA's office. He was once a public safety advisor on then-Mayor-elect de Blasio's transition team. But he's not on the mayor's team today. And frankly... He blames Bill de Blasio for abandoning the police to support an agenda that seeks to play to the far left. O'Donnell says policies put in place over the past few years are now leading to the chaos that we're seeing on the streets today. Well, I, I, would, I would take issue with the idea that the city, uh, I, I think the idea of just measuring uh, shootings uh, is dubious. I think there are there's massive reasons to believe, and we're going to talk about the subways, Massive reasons to believe there has been a, a pretty rapid decline in people's sense of security, sense of safety, um, in the sense of people that are up to no good, that, they, that there's consequences for that. Prosecutors that, are, that don't prosecute, they advocate for the people charged, not for the victims. Um, crime has been going up for a while. Uh, it was exacerbated. I think one of the major uh, proximate causes is the disbandment of the anti-crime unit by NYPD. Uh, but you're now in a very dangerous territory where you have the police essentially paralyzed. Uh, they're they're literally uh, they're literally handcuffed practically in the in the mechanics of making physical arrests. They're at great risk of being criminalized. Um, so every single cop you talk to in New York City wants to get out of the job almost without exception, and uh, recruiting has collapsed. Um, and so uh, it's still a, a safe city relative to other cities. But we are definitely now running the risk of joining a pantheon of cities with useless police departments, which are multitudinous. There's many cities that have absolutely useless police departments and, uh, you know, and really problematic pockets of crime and no-go areas. And Chicago, Baltimore, Philly, Detroit, and you could go on and on. And by the way, it's not just big cities, it's medium-level cities, paralyzed police, police in name only. Uh, just a branding exercise, not a real, not a real public safety agency. 
the the um, the New York City became the epicenter in the last three or four years of of the destruction of law enforcement and the destruction of accountability. Um, so we'll see if that what that what that brings. But it certainly wasn't done in any measured way or any sensible way or any communal way or collaborative way. This was just hardcore, insane left-wing politics that, that has taken over the city. Eight eighty in depth is a production of WCBS News Radio eight eighty. The executive producers are Peter Haskell and myself, Tim Sheld. Find the show wherever you get your audio on demand, and we recommend the Odyssey app for podcasts. That's A U D A C Y. Odyssey. Thanks for listening, and as always, be safe. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.